0: Comes the sun
1: and I say, it's alright Ain't no sunshine when she's gone It's not warm when she's away Ain't no sunshine when she's gone And she's always gone too long Anytime she goes away
2: Day sunshine evening, Mendonesia. I'm Doug Livingston, and this is the Renewable Energy Hour, and with me as usual, uh, commuting by photons and electrons, is my co-host, Alex Aragon. Hey, Alex. Hey, Doug. Hey, Mendonesia. Mendonesia. Yeah, I I used to say, uh, well, no, I won't get into that, but I kind of like Mendonesia. It's... It's not just Mendocino County, even though it's Mendocino County Public Broadcasting. We've got a lot of people listening in (laughs) in. southern Humboldt and uh, a big portion of Lake County and northern Sonoma, not to mention all the people on the World Wide Web. We've probably got three or so right now who are outside (laughs) of the county, but you know it happens. Uh and bef- before we start into our renewable energy hour show I want to make a pitch for our quiet drive I'm afraid I cannot find the totals of where we are right now um I do know that our fall fundraising goal is 120,000 uh which is uh, higher than normal but because we've we've dropped down the number of drives per year and particularly in these circumstances uh we're not having the standard you know 10 day Drive with tons of phone answers crammed in the little space and multiple pitchers all breathing on each other. Um, and there are other priorities the station thinks are more important than, than doing that right now, but uh, finances is a priority, and, and uh, we don't want to uh, fall back into the hole where we were, I don't know, 10 years ago or so where we were struggling and not able to hold all our staff. Um, and uh, for those of you who are, you know, out of work, uh, and are really hurting I'm not asking you um, I'm, I'm, think- I'm thinking about the people who you know, have a good job and are in no danger of losing it or people who are retired and, and their stock market investments are doing great at least up until the past two days maybe that's not the best pitch um, but if you're in a comfortable position consider thinking about all the people who can't donate this time around and, uh, and maybe putting up a little extra there are several ways you can donate to the station. You can uh, go to our website, kzyx.org, and there's a big red donate button up in the top uh, that'll lead you through the process. Very secure. Um, you can call during business hours at 707-895-2324 and uh, press extension 5. Or surprisingly, do you know, the, the biggest uh, response avenue so far in our quiet drive has been through the mail. Wow. Old school. Uh, you could send it. Yeah. You can send a check st- to a very hard to remember P.O. Box number, P.O. Box 1 in Philo, California, 95466. And uh, I heard one DJ saying P.O. Box 964 or something the other day, and I was, uh oh. I wonder where that's going to go. Um, but it's P.O. Box 1 in Philo, California. So if you can, please consider. Uh, uh, helping keep us keep us afloat while many of our listeners are probably struggling just to get by and and don't have much extra. Uh, we appreciate it. The community appreciates it, uh, even if not everyone in the community can support it right now. So, Alex. Hey. Uh, grid grid stability. That that's a that's a big overarching topic uh, but that that's what we chose as our topic tonight we're going to talk about it for a while and i imagine we'll start getting phone calls and and we'll shift it over to let to let uh some of the listeners uh, help steer the conversation um but what do we what do we mean by grid stability we're uh, there are a couple of different you know issues around stability that I want to address in this conversation uh on the biggest picture is you know how the grid can handle as much renewable energy as we need to put on it um, the The traditional sources of of power to the grid have been coming from large centralized power plants, and those could be ramped up or down on some statewide or even federal entity um, that's telling which plant to turn up, which plant to turn down, based on what the voltages are scattered around the grid so that they can help keep everything within normal operating windows. And that's how it's operated pretty much since the beginning. Um, and the challenge for renewable energy is that you know it puts out when it puts out, not when somebody asks it to put out. And so, as, as you get more and more solar and wind, in particular, uh, onto the grid, uh, you can have times of boom and bust. And so, how do you run the grid uh, with more and more and more of this renewable energy and still make it an attractive investment for people who are building the plants, uh, because one issue that's happening in California is frequently the, the solar power plants aren't allowed to put onto the grid because they've already got too much energy going onto the grid. Um, California has an unusually high amount. It's still, what, down at something like 8% renewable or something, not including mega hydro? Uh, that's way up from where it was you know, 10 years ago. Um, I think that's something like 10 times what it was 10 years ago. Uh, you, you mentioned in our conversation before the show, Alex, about Hawaii. Hawaii was, is the smallest of grids. Each island is its own grid, and so these issues started showing up in Hawaii. You know, over ten years ago, um, and and Alex, they they don't even let you sell back to the grid in Hawaii anymore.
3: Yeah. Yeah, you can't sell back. You can have a battery power system that is uh, self-generation. Basically, uh, you use the power that you produce on site. Um, if you want to store it for later when the sun goes down, you got to put it in batteries to draw it later. And you wind up kind of using the grid as a backup in that situation.
2: <laughs> yeah, I see we've got a caller calling in. We're going to take calls a little later, but we're not quite ready yet. Um, and uh, we'll, we'll call us back in, in 20 minutes or so. Uh so, on the U.S. mainland, we we essentially have one big grid. Actually, most people break it up into three subgrids. There's the east, there's the west, and there's Texas. Um, and there's not a lot of interconnectivity between Texas and, and the rest of the lower 48. But th- there are some major lines. Um, but... Uh, you know, excess from one part of the country can flow into another part of the country if you have enough capacity in the transmission lines. Um, the high, the the real long distance high tension transmission lines were really designed for being able to carry power, whichever direction it had to go. Um, we need more capacity on some of those uh, in order to be able to you know get long distances uh, from one region of the country to another without critical losses uh, and and multiple parallel paths and things so we do need some investment in in transmission facilities um, and uh, you know uh, uh, Jeff Oldham and I had oh must be good how long have you been on the show Alex You're, two years two years uh, yeah so this must, this must have be at least five years ago with Alex we had some uh, folks from I think it was the University of Delaware who ran some uh, four thousand simulations? They did one sub part of the eastern grid, um, where they knew, you know, what consumption was, you know, at all the critical points around the grid in that you know northeast block, and uh, and they knew all the you know weather data, the sun data, the wind data. They put a penalty in their study you know they were doing a cost analysis you know what what would be the cheapest way to get as much renewable on the system or to meet demand um and in fact i don't even think it was uh you know renewable was the end goal but they sort of implicitly put that in there by putting a Penalty price on fossil fuels of half of the European Union's penalty for carbon emissions so that made all of our standard American fossil fuel sources be a bit more expensive and they ran simulation after simulation after simulation with various different strategies on how to meet the demand to find out what was cheapest and they were doing actually they were fully expecting uh, a huge amount of of energy storage to be one of the ways that you satisfied these on-and-off-again aspects to renewable energy, that you, you know save up extra during the day to run things off of your storage at night. And they were imagining large amounts of battery, and even what what they call pumped storage, where you're taking your excess power during... Times when you've got more than you need and pumping water uphill and running it back down through a hydro turbine when when the grid is not meeting demand to help make up for a shortfall so that's pumped storage and there's of course battery storage and they were expecting tons of that they did end up with a fair amount of that in their cheapest final solution but the thing that really surprised them was that you know the striking thing about the answer that was the cheapest was to put in far more solar and wind than you actually needed and not rely nearly as much on storage. And so that that conclusion always sort of fascinated me. Uh, How do we do it now? Um, Right now, the... Probably the best way to balance things off is with uh, natural gas power plants because they can ramp up and ramp down very very quickly in response to shortfalls and not needed. Uh, whereas something like a coal plant or a nuclear power plant takes a lot longer to ramp up and ramp down their output. Um, and and coal is just taking a beating because of economic reasons. You know, with fracking, natural gas plants have gotten to be far more cost competitive than coal plants are Um, and of course uh, we'd like to eventually get off of the natural gas too Uh, it's great that we've dropped you know for decades and decades coal was in excess of 50% of our natural power mix on the electric grid and God we're down in the neighborhood of 30% nationally now Uh, and that's moved actually quite quickly just in 10 years or so uh, and that's fantastic news and uh, partly because of solar and wind coming online uh, which has been the vast majority of new power production on the grid uh, I think this summer it was all of the new power production on the grid in the US was solar and wind um, but uh, We'd like to eventually get off of the natural gas too, particularly fracked natural gas, which, by a lot of studies, is no cleaner than coal um, because of all the the methane leakage, and methane is is such a powerful greenhouse gas. Um, so we'd love to get off the gas too, but how do you deal with the supply and demand issues? Uh, and you know, one way is to do it with storage, and other way is to throw, or is to just not is to put in more solar and wind than you need and uh and not use it all that makes it less attractive of an investment and so things would go more slowly um a fascinating thing that's starting to take off is uh natural gas power plants converting to hydrogen um First, by just mixing in a certain amount of hydrogen with the natural gas and ultimately, with slightly different turbines, planning on going all hydrogen. Well, where's the hydrogen coming from? Uh, Historically, hydrogen in the U.S. has come from natural gas. Um, But uh, a, a great possibility in my mind has always been that if we got too much solar online so that there wasn't a market for all that power and the the grid moderators say hey you got to turn your plant off we've got too much juice the voltage is going too high Um, is that those plants could shift over to making hydrogen by electrolysis or fuel cells uh, while their electricity was not in demand and then you could use that hydrogen you know to drive those peaker plants or those nighttime plants or what-have-you so that, that's an interesting way to do storage. It's, I've always sort of shied away from it because it wasn't very efficient, but as panel prices have come down and down and down, and we're getting to the point where, where you know, some, some grids, particularly Hawaii being a classic example, are you know, have sort of reached their maximum capacity to absorb solar, uh, that would be a great way to you know, store your energy for use later is, is in hydrogen. The other great way, obviously, is in batteries. And uh, and Alex, here's where you get to start talking. You know how 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 do you see batteries helping the stability of the grid?
3: Well, most of my experiences with uh, residential systems, uh, so you know end users. Um, now, you might think that that's not too that's not going to be very powerful, not really affect the grid. But with all the different systems out there. The ones we've been putting in the last couple of years have been really smart and been able to network, been able to have communication with, you know, with other other things. Uh, if they could be networked, you know, as part of the smart meter systems or part of the utility control, they can actually make it so that those. Systems that have some backup power as part of their part of their design can actually island or they can go off the grid. They can stop using power during peak times, uh, and also if the grid's having trouble, in some cases they can actually sell back to the grid. Uh, you know, interactively. Um, we, the, uh, we haven't
2: gotten around that, the
3: legalities yet. That yet, have we? Well, there's some of it that's possible, that's capable of it. Well, it's certainly, it's capable. It's a, mat- drop, it,
2: yeah. it's a matter of rules. I mean, you know, how are you going to get compensated for that and things like that? Um, <laughs> yeah,
3: well, a lot of the time they're just doing it so your uh, your rate structure is based on you know the. The tiers, you know, all the all the different, um, sorry, all the different street structures you can go with. So it's it's all black box kind of thing as far as I'm concerned. But uh, the physical side of things is possible now. It's just a matter of what uh, what software and what controls they're actually putting on it. So you know, imagine that you have a, you're running your own house and um, you have batteries that are your backup batteries. Uh, you can actually opt in in some cases to allow the utility to. Have control of about thirty percent of your battery, or you, know, you can designate different amounts of your battery uh, capacity. The utility can use draw off of uh, when they need to. Um,
2: so so if the you have uh, tens of thousands of houses with these battery banks, you know, in a pinch, those could be really useful in stabilizing the grid.
3: Yeah, and the programs, the S program that uh, helps pay for uh, residential batteries for people who've had at least two PSPS uh, shutdowns or. Uh, have a water systems or emergency medical systems. Those uh, those uh, rebate programs have been putting these systems out there, and each one is has got to be opted into having some ability to be controlled remotely, uh, and they actually require you to be able to cycle some of that power, not just sit there with full batteries all the time. So it's part of it's part of the infrastructure that we're setting up now, and uh, not too distant future, I think it will be a significant impact. Um, well, and it's- know, just with all the the power that's going on board here.
2: And and it can even be simpler than that. You know, what a lot of people are are marketing the home battery-based systems is not just for backup, but, uh... For example, you know, typical uh, solar residents in California you know, sees peak rates starting in the middle of the summer afternoon and running, you know, well into the middle of the evening, you know, 9.30 or something like that. And, uh... And of course, the solar is no longer generating at those peak rates in the evening, and so what a lot of people are considering doing is not sending their solar backwards through their meter to get their net metered credit at the morning rates, which are cheaper than the afternoon rates, but rather taking those kilowatt hours and charging their batteries and then that evening, after the sun has has gone down, uh, start consuming power from their battery bank to reduce the amount they're consuming from the grid in the evening. And and that helps the utilities be more stable, too. Uh, it, it's not all super fancy communication, you know, coordinated with the, the grid controllers. Just doing that helps stabilize the grid and helps let more solar be on the grid
3: yeah one of the uh, one of the features of uh, the Enphase systems right now uh, n phase is a particular brand um, but they've been setting up so that you can uh, basically uh, you can have it set up so that when a PSPS is announced when a power safety you know power shutoff is uh, announced that it will make sure that your batteries are hundred percent full rather than doing this uh, you know strategic cycling where you're you uh, are you know, staying off the peak demand times and, you know, selling back during uh, off selling back during peak times or using your power during peak times and charging your batteries off peak times. They're actually making it so that the controls are able to override uh, standard that standard programming yeah. for emergency. Yeah, so. to, to make sure yeah, it you is is
2: have a full, full bank at the start of the, the power. Case.
3: Yeah. So with the ability to do that, you know, you can see there's, there's quite a bit of additional ability to really make it so it operates, you know, as part of the so it really is becoming more integrated uh you know smart smart equipment uh those darn smart meters you know um might actually have some controls available at some point that's going to uh make it so that our grid can act more intelligently and more efficiently well
2: we've we've already had systems set up where uh for example people could opt into a program where the grid Operator could turn off your air conditioning, you know, as many as three times a year for no more than two hours or something along those lines during a peak demand.
3: Yeah,
2: in exchange for a lower rate, and th- and that that's been going on for quite a few years. And actually, it reminds me of one of those things in that University of Delaware study up uh, uh, for that. You know, how are we going to satisfy that grid with? Uh, wind and solar or, you know, penalized fossil fuels. And one of the interesting things they, they concluded was well worth the expense in the context of, hey, it was, you know, cheaper to put in excess solar and wind than storage, was that they had assumed and assumed in the cost of their studies and analysis uh, that everybody swapped out their old uh, tank natural gas water for tank natural gas and electric water heaters, and so the and the grid would, the grid would have control over which mode it was operating in, and when and when renewable energies were overflowing on the grid, the grid would send a signal to everybody's water heaters to go into electric mode to help consume that excess instead of just wasting it, and when the grid was, you know, shy of power, it would send those water heaters back to natural gas. And that actually brings me back to that hydrogen article, was that they were talking about mixing in natural gas into the hydrogen stream of standard distributed natural gas systems, and thereby reducing the, the carbon footprint of all those natural gas burning things. Um, there's a whole other issue of grid stability The you know is sort of alluded to in our discussion here and that's you know keeping power on during a power outage which which your battery-based systems are also talking about and and you want to talk a little bit about microgrids
3: well microgrids are just part of uh, part of the new systems that we've been dealing with so much um they're able to rather than having a transfer switch where you're Choose you know you're choosing either to use the grid as a source or you're choosing to use, uh you know a generator as a source. Um, in this case, the 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 uh, microgrids will actually have a switch that just isolates them from the grid, and so they, they have their own ability to form their own uh, their own power structure, their own uh, voltage source, their own uh, generator, so to speak. That's you know electrically powered off of batteries,
2: yeah, kind, um, of, kind of like a so standard AC coupled system has always been.
3: Yeah, it is a yeah standard AC coupled. Well, it's still pretty new compared to a lot of what a lot of people have and are oh, used to in their been uh, home 15, systems. Fifteen. Years. You know, these uh, AC coupled things are are fairly recent, really within the last five years. I mean, I, f- I first did a AC coupled system back in two thousand six, uh, and it was you know up in Greenfield Ranch, an experimental thing, and it's still working today. But. Um, there's now you know readily available uh, UL listed, uh, ETL listed devices that you can actually uh, you know connect to the utility now. They're able to do this, so it's really given a lot more options in how you can set up your power system. Um, you don't have to have just all your all your equipment in one power room with the batteries of ventilation, so you don't breathe some battery fumes when you walk in there and stuff. You can actually have, you know, your batteries mounted in one area of your uh, of your uh, of your site and have your inverters, you know, scattered about uh, as smaller grid-forming inverters, um, it would be micro-inverters, like on solar panels or, you know, theoretically uh, you could put them as, uh, you know, hydro generators or whatever happens to be convenient uh, at different places. Um, Basically, whatever can create voltage, uh, the equipment now exists, the technology exists now that you can make it so it can all feed back into your local grid that you've created. Um, rather than having one centralized battery system. So it's really given more options. Um.
2: Well, we've had uh, a, a number of people trying to call in. Uh, shall I invite people to join the conversation? And we can keep sure. chatting if they if they opt out. Um, so whoever's been calling, call in again. We're opening up the phone lines and we will answer now uh, if you're... If you're interested in joining the conversation with questions, comments, or curiosities you've heard, uh, give us a call at 707-895-2448. We've got calls coming in. Let me get all my dials turned up right. Hello, caller. You're live and on the air.
4: Hi. I have a question about how solar panels are made and where. I was in an argument with someone and went online, and I see that it's controversial even online. Uh, One side says 95% of the solar panels are made from silica, which is sand. And the other side cites rare earth metals and all kinds of metals that are polluting China and the manufacture. And I wonder if you could speak to that.
2: Both are right, but... uh the, the rare earth metals uh, types of chemistries are a very, very tiny percentage of the market. And I think for good reason. Um, uh, you know, my my evil in that category is a type called cadmium telluride. And cadmium is just a foul and toxic heavy metal. Um,
4: How much of the solar panel is the, cadmium telluride?
2: Uh... Of 95% of the solar panels sold in the world, none.
4: Oh, so why are people harping on that?
2: Because they don't like solar. (laughs) And I guess I know who they're voting for president.
4: Where are solar panels made besides China?
2: Uh, Mostly in China, but there are also uh, lots of production in Europe. There's a small amount of production coming back in the U.S., still not very much. A fair amount in Japan, Korea, uh, Malaysia. Uh, But uh, uh, China definitely dominates the market. And uh, of their... My bigger concern is not those, you know, rare earth metals in those exotic solar panels nobody uses. My bigger concern is the, the way that we refine the silicon out of the silica. And there's a clean way of doing that and a dirty way of doing that. And, uh the majority of the large Chinese manufacturers we can actually track and know that they're using the clean method although lots of them we can't track lots of the smaller ones we can't track and can't find answers and I'm nervous that a substantial number of those are indeed using uh, using the dirty method perhaps less and less now as China becomes more more wealthy Uh, a great resource on this front is an out is if you searched on any uh, search engine online is search for solar scorecard, solar scorecard, and they uh, evaluate uh, the social and environmental responsibility-ness of solar ma- panel manufacturers and grade them accordingly. And any that they can't track, don't get on the list. Well, thank you. Sure enough. Uh, it was a long-winded answer. I'm not sure I answered all the questions. <laughs> And we got
3: yeah. There's some, there's a good bit of uh, solar being manufactured in Canada. Um, there's also some plants in Georgia. Uh, well,
2: are you talking about Canadian about a,
3: Canadian solar? Canadian solar does a lot of importing from China. Yeah, well, they're they're actually a Chinese
2: company, but they do do final assembly in Canada. Hey, we have full oh, lines. Yeah. I'm going to let them call. Oop, that one what? dropped off. Uh, if I put you on hold, don't drop off. Hang on. Hello, caller. You're live on the air. Oop, can you turn that radio off?
5: Can you hear me okay? Yep. Okay, hold on one second. Cool, I had to take you off my speaker. Um, yeah, so I really appreciate your show. Um, I, you know, I don't know what you're talking about 99% of the time, because I'm new to all this stuff, but I do always listen in, and I always learn a little bit, but... Um, One of these days, I want to move onto a piece of property be totally off the grid. Right now, I'm renting. Um, I need a solar refrigerator and was looking into buying an old chest freezer or buying a new chest freezer um, and putting a couple panels on it and turning it into a solar refrigerator with a thermostat um curious how, what you how guys would, think how about would, that how would, and you, what would you over you think about the general idea of you know kind of making individual solar components so that one day when you move onto a homestead um you can just hook everything in or if you think it's better just to wait until you buy that land
2: oh my tendency is to lean toward the latter how about you alex
3: yeah a little bit i mean you can, you can do some smaller systems i was actually making some systems that were portable for renters once upon a time uh for about neighborhood of four to five thousand dollars you can set up a system that could do a refrigerator and a few other essential loads uh, that would not be permanently installed somewhere it'd take uh, about um, an area of about five feet by ten feet so about uh you know, about 500 square feet of, uh, of solar panels not that 500, uh, 50 square feet of solar panels. Um, so, you know, it's, it's the kind of thing you can load up in one pickup truck and move along. You uh, even some good batteries, and inverter, the charger built into it.
2: Yeah, keep, uh, keep
3: a solar charge controller. Keep, keep uh, in that, mind, listeners. system like that could be useful even after you move.
2: That, that, that you're not going to be able to run any standard refrigerator off of solar panels directly.
5: Yeah, I was looking at some um, videos online that people were doing little, um, you know, rigging little things up
2: they they needed a battery bank and a and a small inverter. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Um, and and, uh, and part of me is thinking, you know, you're going to end up with a bunch of these small things that don't work well together. And in terms of scale, you can do, you know, the whole house with everything a lot cheaper if you if you did it with one game plan all at once is my impression.
3: Yeah, it's a lot more yeah. cost effective to A lot, do, a lot uh, more cost. effective,
2: effective Plus, the panels prices keep coming down. The batteries, uh, at least the the exotic lithium ion batteries, keep getting cheaper, um, so that uh, my my tendency is to look at it when you're when you got that land finally.
5: Okay. Although it's great. fun. Thank it's, you so much, guys. It's,
2: it's fun to play around with.
5: Yeah, yeah, and I really enjoy your show. I I wish I had more of the vocabulary down, but Uh, (laughs) the more I listen, the more I learn, so I really appreciate it. Hey,
2: you're very welcome. Take care. Yeah, we we used to call this the Geek Hour, back back when we alternated with Point and Click, you know, the Renewable Energy Hour and the the Point and Click Hour, two geekiest shows on the station. Hello, caller, you're on the Renewable Energy Hour.
1: Oh, just like that. Just like that. Isn't Telluride a town in
2: Colorado? <laughs> Where lots of skiing happens. Uh, it's, it, the they, they, they must have uh, been named for a mine that mined the element there or something. I have no idea Isn't what the history of that.
1: It? Now, I, could, I can't... My wife is on the Internet, so I can't get... I've been meaning to check this because you mentioned it before. Isn't Telluride an alloy of telenium and gold?
2: Oh, it might be. It might be. Because it's a mining town, right?
1: You know, Telenium, you know, tele- Telluride. Yeah, it's, it, it reminds me of uh, taganite. Remember that comedy thing skit about, my God, man, you found taganite. Anyway. Sorry.
2: <laughs> <laughs> I digress. You digress. <laughs>
1: so I can't see a solar panel being made half out of gold being, like, you know, an economical
2: solution. Oh, no, it's tiny, tiny percentage. Uh, yeah. The,
1: the, now, of course, um, Although, the they, amount of rare metals in your touchscreen on your phone, doesn't that exceed about 10 solar panels by a factor or two?
2: Well, uh, how are you measuring it? You know, a typical solar know. panel isn't using any rare metals. You know, the, I know. The standard silicon. on your one,
1: phone is. Yeah,
2: the standard silicon. Put that
1: thing down if
2: you want There's silicon, boron, and phosphate in in the actual cells. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, and there there are some crazy exotics. Probably the the best known brand of that cadmium type uh, is uh, First Solar, but I think there's actually a new American manufacturer who's come online recently on that front. Cadmium
1: in what's in those little hearing aid batteries and stuff that you know your child or your dog eats, and by the time they figure it out,
2: they're it's dead. Late. Yeah, yeah. Well, yeah. Uh, in general, cadmium batteries aren't used anymore. Because,
1: because okay, I was wondering, because people should be dropping dead left and right, because I see them all over the
2: place. So no, no, they they started retiring cadmium batteries, you know, slowly in the U.S. You know, God, as much as twenty years ago when nickel metal hydride came out, those started replacing them, and now they're almost entirely lithium ion batteries in the, the little, in the rechargeable mm. world. Um, Although there's still plenty of cadmium rechargeables in people's, you know, boodle box or mystery yeah. drawer and whatnot, and oh, yeah, p- no, please don't throw those in the, the trash. Take I know where to
1: put them though. If yeah. I just bother. Take them to the, take tr-
2: them at the. Yeah, oh, the, the transfer station. Oh, yeah, or the toxic waste, but uh, but at the local transfer stations, they have a spot for batteries, and they'll deal with right. it there too. Oh.
1: So, um, anyway, uh, you were talking earlier about storing um, hydro, uh, storing a, a solar by pumping water uphill and letting it fall back downhill.
2: Mm-hmm. Not very efficient.
1: They want to evaporate and there's no friction or anything else. Well, you know? it, do,
2: it does evaporate and there is friction.
1: I, they want to put it, those in the desert, which is back to one of my favorite. Anyway, I, was at a, I, I, I wasn't at it, but um, in the BLM talking points for one of these persons who was they said, "Oh no! There's two turbines going downhill, so we get twice as much power going back up."
2: Huh? <laughs> Somebody needs a wow. physics class.
1: Somebody, but that's you know on the record in BLM.
2: Huh? Yeah, the the, the round robin efficiency. That's been a
3: political appointment.
2: The the round robin efficiency, sure enough, of of pump storage is somewhere between 20 and 50 percent. You're going to get, you know, at best about half of what you put in to pump the water up back out as electricity when it comes back down. And the place where this happened regularly was uh, in the Tennessee Valley Authority, where they had lots of reservoirs and lots of nuclear power plants.
1: Oh, so that's where you could actually.
2: Well, it, it turned out that the nuclear power plant, you know, cost just as much to operate running at 20% capacity as it did at 80% capacity. So they they just kept them, you know, ramp.
1: Well, the basic thing was never turn them off. Yeah,
2: ran- keep them ramped up at night and pump water uphill all night long real cheaply and then use that to to peak during the peak demand during the day.
1: Well, that ma- reminds me of something else you said. Texas is not interconnected. I have It, no it is,
2: me. but marginally so. It's, compared, it's,
1: well, what else you see in the desert around Las Vegas <laughs> very interconnected. But.
2: Las Vegas is scary.
1: <laughs> anyway, Um and then us, oh, well, have fun.
2: All right, thank you. Thanks Bye. for the call. Bye-bye. <laughs> well, we got full lines. Hello, caller, you're live on the air.
5: Hi, how are you? Hey, listen, I listen to your show, and I really enjoy the... Like like one of your previous callers done, I, I enjoy all the technical stuff, but I don't understand a lick of it.
2: So. We hear that a lot. What
5: I'd like to know is, yeah, can you recommend, and I'll take my answer on the air, can you recommend a good source for someone like me that has a lot of, of kind of technical knowledge, how to kind of gain more knowledge about uh, solar systems? Appreciate it. Thanks sure for enough. the show. Oh,
2: God. Um. It's harder and harder to answer that question. Alex, how would you answer that?
3: That that is getting harder. I mean, the Solar Living Institute is gone now, Mm -hmm. among other things. That's where I got my start. Um,
2: Well, and things have gotten so diversified that, you know, it's hard. Yeah, I can't come up with one good book, for example. Um,
3: Oh, Foldable Takes by uh, Solar Energy International. mm -hmm. Mm-hmm, yeah. Publisher is Solar Energy International. The... the, um, Book is called Photovoltaic Installation. Um, the, the photo, photovoltaic installation handbook, I believe is what it's called. It's actually set up like the, like a textbook, uh, different sections so you can read through and start with basic systems and work your way up to more and more complicated stuff. And that really could give you a really good understanding if you're a self starter studier kind of person. Yeah, and if you're uh, looking exercises at exercises like, and all kinds of stuff in it.
2: Looking at your own systems. It's not really dealing with the big, you know, large scale grid issues and things like that. And and I do believe it's a hundred dollar book or so
3: yeah somewhere around there but it's really one of the best sources i've seen of yeah. getting you know, smaller systems understood that solar uh, energy international
2: i think it's sei dot org correct yeah uh
3: that,
2: that uh, that's a thumbs up for me too it's a good book
3: are they from somewhere like Telluride, Colorado? Yeah,
2: they're, uh, I think they're based in Carbondale, right up the road from Telluride. Somewhere somewhere near. <laughs> Not they probably do a lot of skiing. Hello, patient caller. You're live on the air.
6: Hi. You were talking about grid stability earlier, and I remember hearing a story, I think on The World a year or two ago, about a small island nation somewhere near Australia, where they were giving people um, money to buy electric cars, like rebates or something from the federal government, but the rule was you had to have them plugged in all the time if you weren't driving them, ah. and they were using the batteries in the cars as, uh, as storage. Would you, have you heard about this
2: yeah, idea? Certainly heard about that. In fact, that was one of the mm-hmm. solutions in the uh, in the University of Delaware study we were referencing earlier, that they, they were looking at... at one of the the solutions that they kept trying in in their 40,000 different simulations was was people with electric vehicles that would do that I'm a little nervous about that concept because uh, you know I I want to keep limits on how much the grid could take from my gas tank
3: well that's the kind of thing that would probably give you a percentage like yeah, you'd probably like, sign up for 20 or 30% of your battery capacity mm-hmm. uh, you know, with special times so you could override no, it and I say remember- no I need to drive too far or
6: something. Well, I remember in their story was that you would somehow program into your car how many miles you needed to go the next day, and they'd make sure you had it every time you needed it.
2: Okay, a similar method fixing my same worry. Um, and and that's cool. Uh, I We need to see, uh, although now the electronics are so sophisticated, it's pretty easy to do that where you can take the the electric car's battery voltage and find an inverter that can work with it um that didn't used to be the case but it yes, just seemed like ahead.
6: an ingenious notion especially for a small island nation with lots of wind and solar but nothing at night maybe and something smaller and more contained than the electric grid in this country but maybe for a
2: microgrid mm-hmm. well and you can do it with stationary batteries too they don't have to be in a car and so
6: this was just because you needed the batteries for the car anyway, and they were trying mm-hmm. to get as much renewables as possible. And so then when you're driving, you're also using the renewables instead of using the gasoline.
2: Yeah, yeah, yeah. And and I love the idea of electric vehicles, even if we're not using them as our grid storage, but they can. That's a possibility. One of our places that, that we kind of, could do storage.
3: That kind of reminds me of the uh, the design of the DR inverter originally from the Dominican Republic, where they had uh, the grid was only available for a certain number of hours a day, and so they started building these systems that could charge quickly while the grid was available, and uh, then when the grid went off, you'd have your own self supply of. Uh, battery power, so mm-hmm. the same sort of thing can go on with cars in a more intelligent way, in you know, a smarter, controlled way where you could uh, charge them up during off-peak times, you know, when, who knows, maybe the, the grid could have its own uh, schedule where it would fire up You know the the more expensive power plants or something like that, so they could plan it so that most of the grid could go through the night, and maybe like you know five o'clock in the morning, the the grid kicks up and starts having more power available, so you could top off your car before you got to go out in the morning. You know, there's all kinds of possibilities with all this electronic control. It's kind of spooky and kind of otherworldly, but it's uh, definitely making things more efficient. Um, Mm -hmm. You know, there was there are these thermostats that came out called the Nest thermostat, which is a smart thermostat that's able to keep track. like traffic in your home and how warm you want it to be and then they're able to network and pay attention to the weather and they're able to predict uh you know how much energy and how much heat you needed to put in your house to keep at a particular temperature. And just by having that level of control, they're able to increase your uh your house's uh heating and cooling efficiency to like something like 15 20 percent, which, you know, across the grid, that's a huge amount. So with these different controls, we're getting able to, you know, pinch pinch more and more, you know, more and more watts out, you know, watt hours out of uh, Uh, out of the system so i really see there being a big uh, advancement in these technologies if we can just uh you know keep it sane and keep it manageable
2: and and get the uh policy setters on board and in line with each other and not have 300 different systems all competing with each other at the same time oh that caller didn't hang on while i had them on hold sorry hello caller you're live on the
0: air let me turn down my wind up radio here because right. I'm in the I heard energy. that dial
2: tone from just a few seconds ago.
0: Uh, uh, really interesting program. I, I always look forward to and enjoy this. And I wouldn't call it the Nerd Hour. Uh, <laughs> n- knowledge is, knowledge is a good thing for. We shouldn't be afraid of knowledge. We're so, proud geeks. Uh, proud geeks. I, I, I'm going to venture off uh, uh, into uh, three different questions. Teller I was mentioned. Colorado Springs is the home of Nikolai Tesla's Wardenclyffe Tower. And. I still wonder why and how we can't have, uh, you know, say I've got a 50-acre property. Why can't I have a testicle oil and power my property? Um, they're, they're proven safe. They work. They turn one on at the uh, Griffith Observatory every day. Uh, it generates a lot of power. Um, my second question would be um, in regard to uh, with solar panels. I've always been curious with plants. They've follow this photovolactic uh, action that we try to mimic with all kinds of chemicals and compounds and rare earth minerals that we have to fight wars over. Um, not, not really. That was use an algae to make uh, some sort of uh, energy device. I've, I've read some research on this. And then uh, my third thing is a, a, a total alternative energy thing that occurs. Uh, Joseph Haggard, who uh, resides here in Willis, is a brilliant, brilliant uh, bioethicist uh, and, and scientist, uh, very pragmatic. And for his project at UC Santa Cruz, he created a uh, wood pulp uh, generated uh, water heater for the farm at UC Santa Cruz because farmers, while solar is very convenient and we can store a certain amount of power, uh, this thing was putting out hot water. And those after hours when people are really needing a shower, like hot, hot, hot water. So and, it was uh, a compost uh, pile? The expense of that project was the piping because it was for human contact on the body. I thought about using a micro version of it to uh, heat a radiant heat floor in a house using a wood pulp or a generative source uh, to, to warm water uh, to heat my floor. And uh, I, I really, you know, nerd bologna sauce. We're living in a time where uh, the whole nuance of knowledge and fact uh, have been brought into question. Science, uh, uh, what's his mean? Uh, the Great Pumpkin laughed at our governor about science when he was here. He literally laughed about science. And I encourage my young eight- and nine-year-old friends to read old popular mechanics from the 60s and 70s. Learn about uh, Mother Earth News and torque and uh, <laughs> learn about as many things as possible. Ask me the day if they're prepared to go to space. But at any rate, I'm curious about this notion of using a more plant-like material uh, to uh, create sun for houses. Well, and also, uh, what is the legal ease of having a Tesla coil? Why the heck can't I have a Tesla coil? Oh, well, you can. Well, then why don't we? Uh, what are you going to do with it? Power my power my pro- my property
2: for one nanosecond every ten minutes.
0: That's, all, that's all, uh, c- well, uh, come on uh, the uh, the project that T- Tesla built in the Niagara Falls, which they have uh, I, I, irreparably harmed and altered the falls. They're they know nothing like what they used to. But those are the first. Uh, Generative power sources that generated power all the way to New York City. It was a hydro Uh, turbine. But that was a hydro situation. So you're saying that it's not pragmatic? The Tesla Tesla uh, Tesla coil is not pragmatic for uh, for, uh, usage.
3: Alex? The Tesla power coil is not a power generation system. It's a transmission system. So you have to generate the power that you're going to send with the Tesla coil somewhere else.
0: But Tesla's main Tesla maintained that the constant generation of energy by the Earth was how you generated the system.
2: Oh yeah, we we, we never got to the bottom of that. Um, that's not, a, that's a,
0: that's not Tesla all of his records.
2: <laughs> a conspiracy
0: theory. I'd like to go back no, to that no, that's fact. The family is still suing for the for that scientific research.
2: Oh well. I, I certainly encounter a lot of people who who attribute to Tesla a lot more than what I believe he actually ever got done. He was a genius. He did some amazing things, but he, he was also clearly going off the deep end in the last 10, 15 years of his life, in my mind.
5: Wouldn't
0: you have ideas top. like the radio stolen from you by Marconi and Edison, who sponsored his emigration papers, using him for basically uh, Edison, well-known for stealing other people's ideas? You know, and shopping and Tesla wisely uh, left
2: Edison and joined up with Westinghouse. Who was more open exactly. to his ideas? Exactly, and we
0: teamed up against Tesla after financing him. Uh, uh, and, and, and after financing country,
2: him and realizing what and he horses, was sinking crazy amounts of money more, into crazy more things.
0: More effective and more emotionally damaging to just get puppies and cats from the pound, and he would he would he would electrocute them in public using a Tesla coil. Uh, that that I, I think that there's less conspiracy. Uh, to the science of, of Tesla than there is to the cover-up of the fact that the Earth is generating power. Uh,
2: I, I'm still skeptical on that. But I will, I will go back to your uh, plant-based idea. Uh, Thank you. My, my mom used to heat our barn in northern Ohio in the wintertime with the manure pile. There you go. Think.
3: There's actually been yeah. some uh, suggestion that we go back to biomassing-type uh, energy production uh, as part of our uh, ways of dealing with the uh, wildfire issues. People are saying, oh, yeah, we need to sweep our forests. Well, <laughs> <laughs> you know, some, you use some of that organic material and biomassing. Yeah. It's kind of scary, though, yeah. because those biomass plants are hungry, and they just want to, you know, be fed. So what and do we the, have to feed and, them from?
2: In terms of algae, uh, I'm not aware of anybody coming up with practical electricity-producing, you know, uh, algae-related stuff. But I certainly have encountered uh, studies with uh, the National Renewable Energy Laboratory on what algaes were the best for producing uh, oils, for making diesel, or for making hydrogen. Um,
3: Are there any biovoltaics?
2: Bio-voltaics. So there are ones they call organic photovoltaics, but they're not actually living things. They're, you know, organic molecules, not living things. They're, you know, carbon-based polymers and things.
0: Uh, back, back to Joe Haggard's uh, uh, hot water heater idea, using the wood pulp. That's, his plans are free online. Uh, he did the Elon Musk thing, and he received the Chancellor's Award from yeah. the UC uh, Regents.
2: And uh, I, I presume the- he was just letting them compost? That's where the heat a, was yeah, coming from.
0: Composting around this this uh, water tank mm-hmm. and creating this this great volume of heat, uh, so that people could take a shower.
2: Yeah, well, if you got enough biomass lying around, that's easy to do.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, and, and here's another far-out idea that isn't geeky or nerdy. I've read in relation to uh, fire extinguishment that uh, uh, in Germany is such a leader. You know, they've taken apart their uh, their um, waste dumps, uh, by creating a machine that uses the energy in the, in the landfill and then pulls out everything and find, and, and literally monetizes the dump and, <laughs> and, and turns it into dump. green space. But there's another uh, thing that they've done where they use sound. They use a certain bass note that draws so much oxygen out of the air that it extinguishes flame. Uh, and it's, it's a way out there idea, again, but, I mean, science is science, and we've always got to, um, some of it's just platitudes, uh, but uh, through, through research and through programs like this uh, and the ability to have a discussion. Uh, man, what a great radio station, folks. Uh, grab that uh, jar of quarters that you got and shake it up, man. Take it down to KZYX tomorrow and help, help finance uh, this great public forum uh, for alternative ideas. Thanks for your time, Paul. Hey,
2: thank you. Um yeah speaking of dumps I I cringe every time I drive down 101 past the the big dump north of Nevada have you ever noticed that Alex
3: Oh yeah yeah there are a couple the of look yeah look like, yeah, look like a couple of big up.
2: silos there and you can see the yeah. hot air ripples up above it that's because the dump is is off-gassing methane and they're for environmental reasons required to burn it off cuz the carbon dioxide it burns to is less of a greenhouse gas than the than the methane is <laughs> and uh and they're just burning it off where you could be running it through a generator making electricity which is actually what the dump uh, near my hometown in Ohio did Hello, caller. You're live on the air.
7: Oh, hi. <clears throat> um, I was expecting to get into the queue with, <laughs> to hear what was going on first. Um, uh, I wanted to bring up something which I have heard um, recently, which was people talking about the political situation in Bolivia. And I heard somebody on the uh, came somebody, a uh, member of the public, who came on the radio on one show, saying that. Um, Tesla and the world are just trying to get all of uh, Bolivia's lithium deposits. And some of the research I've done, um, Bolivia has a lot of lithium on paper, but it doesn't really have any lithium manufacturing at this point for a couple of different reasons. One of them is that uh, uh, it's in fairly low concentrations compared to uh, Chile and uh, Argentina. And the other is that it has, I believe, it's a, magne- a lot of uh, magnesium mixed in with it, which is very expensive to separate it out. And so, and there aren't any, currently any companies mining. There were two, there was a Chinese company and a German company, which were interested, but a Chinese company bowed out, and the German company is a small, on paper, like 50-person never actually mined anything before company. So, um, so it's not the- that they have, they have huge amounts of reserves, just it's paper reserves, not, I mean, or it's, it's there, but it's not usable.
2: Um, the scary new news of, you know, a handful of years ago is that they've discovered the largest deposits of lithium in the world recently in Afghanistan.
7: Ah, interesting. Uh, well, the, you know, the question there is the same thing. Is, is it, is, is it in a very useful form? It's like, you know, it's like the oil industry. There's, you know, you have tar sands and you have, uh, you know the the know, two dollars barrel trigger.
0: to extract oil in in
2: uh, in uh, um, Iraq. So you know, it's, uh, yeah, I anyway, th- tell you the truth, I think Tesla's bigger problem was not the lithium; it was the cobalt that they use in their chemistry.
7: So for Tesla, yeah, Tesla's trying to get away from they are they are they are they're they have one of the least they use very they're try, keep trying to lower it and they with their new chemistry they're trying to go eliminate it altogether. Right, right. Um, they they are so, the and start. they're also ah, trying to open up a mine here in the US to uh, uh, mine uh, lithium. And there's also a lot of promise for extracting lithium in conjunction with geothermal energy. Huh. Because there's lithium is really common. I mean, if you've ever been out right. to uh, Wilbur Hot Springs, Very there's a solid. huge amount of uh, lithium in their water.
2: Very and, uh, hmm. yeah, uh, that's interesting. I hadn't heard that before either, and I'm not terribly aware of what the environmental impacts of lithium mining are.
5: Yeah. <laughs> they they a vary. there's range, a yeah. lot
7: of water usage. They don't have to be, but there's it's not it's not nearly. I mean, compared to the how dirty. Mining petroleum is—it's nothing compared to fracking. It's nothing compared to that. But it does use a can use a fair amount of water because they brine. You basically run the water through the area that has lithium. You take this lithium water and you evaporate it in the sun, and it just happened naturally for thousands of years in those areas. But when you industrialize the process, you you need to have water, and it's just it's. It's environmentally benign, like I say, compared to mining uh, petroleum. It's uh, In conjunction with the uh, you know geothermal, because you're taking this water that's coming out of the ground as steam, you can ex- after it's passed to the turbines, you can extract the lithium out of it, dr- and then let it back. And then pump since they're pumping, they're recycling the water and pumping it back into yeah. the geothermal wells. It's a closed system, and nope. you're just extracting the lithium on every cycle. And, and, uh, it's, and uh, I think it has a lot of promise. Germany and a whole lot of other countries are looking very curious with,
5: m- this, with this.
2: My father-in-law thinks that geothermal should be our, you know, our load balancing uh, energy source for the grid.
7: Yeah. Well, you know, in all we're, of this, it's down down cost per kilowatt. And that's something like that. Oh, by the way, the gentleman who called about the uh, Tesla, you know, I kind of laugh about some of the, conspiracy theories on the left and conspiracy theories on the right because they if i often think some of the same people who fall for conspiracy theories will fall for them on either side of the spectrum but uh for instance the tesla situation yes you think about that cordless charger for your cell phone yes you can scale that up and make it very big which is what tesla actually did do in a sense But what they've discovered is very inefficient. It's incredibly expensive. And it also exposes one to incredibly powerful electric magnetic um, fields, which, uh, you know, it's, it's, and they, you hey, know, there are smaller get, versions of it, like your. We got, We're gonna be so cut far, off for a minute here in the last so minute.
2: We got thirty seconds left. I gotta, I
7: gotta end you. Okay. All right. Hey, thanks for the show. Hey, and, thanks for the call. Uh, and good luck with everything.
2: All, all right. right. Bye bye. And I'm sorry for all the other callers who were on the line and didn't get in. We don't have enough time to take another call. Uh, Alex and I will be back in two weeks, presuming we're not preempted by some national emergency.
3: Let's see if we can find someone to talk about hydrogen storage. Uh, hydrogen Someone storage. in the industry. All right. Well, I, I was looking at
2: sources for that. We'll see you in two weeks, everybody.
3: In about half an
1: hour, we will actually start tracking a koala and you'll start to get the trick of it
5: quite quickly. We're on St. B's Island off the coast of Queensland, Australia. Alastair Melzer and his team of Earthwatch volunteers have been studying the koalas that inhabit the island. A number of the koalas here have been captured and fitted with radio collars, and the team finds the koalas by tracking their signals. Welcome to Pulse of the Planet Science Diaries, a glimpse of the world of science from the inside.
1: Right now, basically, I am holding this antenna up high in the air and trying to catch a radio signal and uh, playing with the gain. Right now I've got a pretty good signal. As I reduce the gain and I'm still getting a signal back, basically that just means I'm getting closer. One of the problems you have with this sort of radio signal is that it bounces off things. It will bounce off hillsides and it will bounce off water. One of the other